You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. God is omnipresent. Now, this is something that we cannot comprehend in our finite beings that are limited to a locale. We are limited to a locale. There, in, in our understanding in our world, um, no two things can occupy the same space, right? So if you have something that's filling something and something else comes in and tries to fill that same place, it will displace whatever is there previously. So you've done the science experiments and all that stuff where you have water in a jar and you pour the oil in, the water comes out or whatever. No two things can occupy the same space. No two people can occupy the same space. And so we live in a natural world, but God is transcendent. He's above all of this. And so he is absolutely omnipresent, everywhere present. And so we're going to look at this because we can't understand this as humanity in earthly terms, but we can understand because the Bible speaks to us in these, uh, uh, well, explains to us in ways that we can understand. So we are going to look at, I think it is five or six different things here that I'm going to have you write down that are going to be sub points from this main point. And then we're going to go through a whole host of scriptures tonight. Some of them I may run through a little bit quicker, and I want, but I'm putting them up there because I want you to be able to see it. So if you try to follow along in your Bible, you know I may frustrate you a little bit. So this is intended to give you the information so that you then can go home, open up your Bible, and see it for yourself, verify it, validate it, and make sure the preacher's preaching what is in the Bible. Amen. How many know that's a good practice? Make sure the preacher's preaching. I hope you check up on me. I hope you don't just take it, amen, and say, well, pastor said this week. No, you got to figure that out. So let's go here, and we're going to go to the next slide, and we're going to look at, there's going to be six things that we, that we come down through. God is omnipresent, meaning he is everywhere present at the same time. He is not displaced. He has authority everywhere that he is. He exists. There's no place that God is not in, uh, uh, in time, matter, and space. So the first thing we're going to look at is this. God inhabits eternity. Okay? Now, we are subject to time. How many know we're subject to time. We were born, disappointed a man once to born, and then you're going to die. And so there's a time. There's a, there's a shelf life. There's a clock here. God is not subject to time. He's above time. He's transcendent. He's beyond time. And so when we think about this, God inhabits eternity. Let's look at what Scripture says in Isaiah 57 and 15. Isaiah the prophet said this, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity. So God is here today, <laughs> but he is in yesterday, and he's in your tomorrow. Because God is not bound by time. He inhabits eternity. Now, now, some of you are looking at me like, what in the world are you talking about? That's what I'm talking about. 
What I'm talking about is something that we as humans cannot understand. God is not bound by time like we are bound by time. He's omnipresent. There is no time, clock, calendar schedule where God is not. And of course that plays into because if we were going to go in the time factor, he is eternal, not just in space, but he's eternal in uh, He's eternal in time, as we would measure time. He has no beginning, he has no ending. That's, that's for next week. But this says, God inhabiteth eternity, that he inhabits eternity. So the first thing we know about God's omnipresent is that he inhabits, he dwells in eternity. So that's why we can say, I don't have to worry about tomorrow, Right? Because I know who holds tomorrow. Because I know if this person that's subject to time lives the next measure into the next day, God's already going to be there. And he's the absolute God, the omniscient God, the sovereign God, the omnipotent God. And if he's all of those things, then what have I got to worry about? Because God inhabits eternity. So I don't worry about my future. Amen? And because, and I'm getting way off track here, and I can't do this because we don't have time tonight. And if God inhabits eternity, that means he, he was God yesterday, he's God today, he's God tomorrow. God can take care of our past. <laughs> Amen? We're subject to time. Things happened in us. But God has the ability to go back and touch and cover and atone for things that happened in our past. God can do that. He inhabits eternity. All right. So let's look on. Let's go on. Let's go to the second point. Here's the second point about God's absolute omnipresence. He filleth all in all. God fills all in all. So this means this. You cannot displace God from anywhere. Okay? <laughs> Nothing can displace God. God is not displaceable. I love making up words on Wednesday nights. You can't displace God. God is there. He filleth all in all. Well, we look at this here in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 23. It said, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So he filleth all in all. You cannot displace God. You cannot get away from God. You cannot hide from God. You cannot usurp authority over God. He's God everywhere. Amen? Because he's God omnipresent. There's no place that he is not God. There's no place that he's not the absolute, the transcendent, the sovereign. Amen. The omniscient, the omnipotent. You understand what I'm saying? Everywhere. There's no place that God cannot be displaced. In supernatural world, he filleth all in all. He filleth all things. The third thing we would say, and this sounds a little bit redundant, but he is everywhere in time and space, and he's everywhere outside of time and space. So in our understanding, he's God in time and space, everything that we know. But what about if we go before Genesis 1-1? If we go back before Genesis, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But if God's eternal, he's always been around forever. There's no 
beginning to him. He has no beginning. He is the beginning. He has no beginning. And we go back there. We travel back there outside of time and space because if there is time, there had to be a beginning to time. So what was before time? Well, he is everywhere inside of time. He's everywhere beyond time. And he's everywhere before time. This is God. This is what makes him God. If he wasn't God, then he had a beginning. And if he, if, he, if he wasn't omnipresent in all time, matter, and space, then there was a point where it started, or there was a limitation. So there's no limitation. These are things that we could maybe not understand, but David understood it when he said this in Psalm 139, 7 and 8. He said it this way. Whether shall I go from thy spirit, or whether shall I flee from thy presence? Where can I go to escape the presence of the Lord. Now, I know there's no place on this earth I can go, but what if, what if I kill myself, or what if I pass away and my soul's out there somewhere in everlasting, and I'm going around and whatever, and you know, people make up all these kinds of doctrines about things that are going to happen and all this weird, crazy stuff about the afterlife and all this stuff that has no biblical foundation. Wherever you could go and you find... God is still going to be God there. And David said this, Whether can I go from thy spirit, or where can I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. Because God is God everywhere all the time. And so I can't escape God. Even if I descend into hell, into this grave, into this afterlife into this whatever god is still god he's still god of all that jeremiah said it this way am i a god at hand saith the lord and not a god afar off can any hide himself in secret places that i shall not see him saith the lord do not i fill heaven and earth i fill heaven and earth now there are some crazy the theologies that came out of this misunderstanding and that's what we're going to try to address tonight and you have some postmodern type things, uh, some German theologians that in the last 150 years or whatever decided that faith was this crazy abstract thing and they believe in God, but God is everywhere. They would take this verse. So they would say God is in the carpet, God's in the room, God fills everything, he's sort of like this. What, what's those things, those amoebas? Is it an amoeba that's in the sea or uh, something that just floats around, just doesn't really have a brain? It's just sort of this organism that's kind of going around, whatever. And so God is in this pulpit. God's in the wood. God's in the, the metal thing. And he's not really having any interaction. People actually believe this stuff. Some people who actually are even pastors of so-called churches believe this kind of thing, that God doesn't really have any kind of direct thing, and so we just sort of got to figure it out, and we got to find all this stuff, and you're totally missing the point. We'll talk about this. God fills all and all. He's in everywhere, amen, but it's in the supernatural sense. It's in, the, it's in this place. We are finite, and so we can't, we can't relate to that, but this is what God is saying. In Acts chapter 17, and I think we read this Sunday, that they should seek the Lord if happily they may fill after him. And find him, though he be not far from every one of us. It's what Peter is saying, or Paul is saying in Acts chapter 17. Saying, God's not far from us. God's everywhere. It's not like you've ran a distance from God. The gulf between man and God is not one of locale. It's a spiritual gulf. You understand that? 
It's not because God is afar off or some discipline. It's a spiritual gap. We are mortal. We are sinful. We are flesh. He is immortal. He is incorruptible. He is holiness. And so that's the gulf that has to be bridged, not one of locale in that sense. That's where the separation comes in. So this is what we understood. Let's go to the fourth thing that we understand, and that's this, that omnipresence relates to God being a spirit. And so we're talking not in the natural realm. I'm not going to stand up here and say, not in the natural. I'm not going to say God's in the wood and God's in this and all of this stuff is it. Don't step on an ant. God's in that. Don't do that, that kind of theology. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about God is a spirit. God's this being that is above and beyond us. That is why Jesus would say, no man hath seen God at any time. We are finite. How can we see the eternal, omnipresent God, transcendent God? We can't relate to God in that sense. We can't know God in that sense because we're mortal. Does that, does that make sense? Does everybody understand? Okay, he's above us. So in that sense, no man knows God. And I'm going to bring this down so that we can understand this. The Bible, rather, is going to bring this down so we can understand how God relates to us because that's the beautiful thing. The transcendent God came down and did relate to us. And you'll see why this is important and impacts our day-to-day -day life here in a little while. But God, this supernatural being that inhabits all time, matter, and space, is beyond that, inhabits eternity. We, we don't know God. He's a spirit. Okay? Now, now, we have a spirit, and we can feel after him in that sense, but we're, we're carnality. We're, we're creature. We are created, made from God. God is not created. And so he's a spirit. So in that sense, Jesus could rightly say, as he tells us, no man hath seen God at any time. I don't know anything about God or ever see anything about God, except he makes a way to bridge that gap, to come down to reveal himself or communicate or speak to me. But even when I do, that's just a portion of God. It's not God all in all that I'm seeing everything about this God. How can I see this omnipresent, eternal God? How can I even comprehend that as a mortal being? I can't. So no man's seen God at any time. So we know that this relates to God being a spirit. Let's look at a couple verses. Number one, John, let's say John 4 and 24. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Ephesians 4 and 4 says this. There is one body and one spirit. He's talking about the spirit. The spirit. God is the spirit. There's one spirit, even as you're called in the hope of your calling. And 2 Corinthians 3 and 17, he says this. Now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So we're talking about God as a spirit. God is a spirit. How do I see through carnal eyes, how do I see spirits? I don't, I don't, we don't see spirits in that sense. Of course, someday we will, we don't even know what that's going to be like, but God is going to give us an immoral, uh, Im, uh, immortal body. And so that's going to be wonderful. That's going to be incredible. We don't understand all of that stuff. And the Bible talks about that. But God is a spirit. Are you still with me? Yes. 
All right. I'm taking my time here. I want to make sure that I'm, I'm not maybe missing anybody. If anybody has any questions, anytime, you can always, you know, just send me an email or ask me or say, hey, Pastor, I missed that tonight, and so help me. The fifth thing that we want to talk about, and here's where it really gets down to the practical thing. The fifth point that we want to talk about in God's omnipresence is that there is a relative presence, okay, that word relative presence, of the omnipresent God. That word relative presence means there is a relatable presence to humanity, that God makes himself relatable. Okay, we, we, how do we know this eternal, everlasting God that is omnipresent? Well, he makes himself relatable, relative to us. So let's say it this way. There is an emanation from the omnipresent God that we know, and we know that to be the Holy Spirit. And so when we speak about, we come into the house of the Lord and we say, I feel the presence of the Lord here. What we're, not, we're not saying that God wasn't here and then God showed up. Because God, has, God doesn't have that limitation. No, God is always God. He's always here. You understand what I'm saying? But what we're talking about when we use that terminology, and sometimes it can be confusing, is that we're saying, I feel an emanation of the omnipresent God. <laughs> Bridging the gap, if you will. And I feel him coming down and relating with the hearts and the spirit of man. So that's the Holy Spirit. That's what we're talking about. So let's, let's think about it this way, okay? Only as a spirit can God have omnipresence in relationship with a finite presence of creation. So if God was merely a being as we are a being, he would have a fixed locale. But God does not have a fixed locale, per se, that means that when I'm here, I'm not there. God is everywhere, okay? But he has to have, uh, so in that sense, he's a spirit, okay? And then as his spirit comes down and dwells with us, he can emanate and he can relate with us. Amen. The omnipresent, eternal, everlasting God can come down and relate with finite humanity. So only as a spirit can omnipresence in relationship, uh, uh, can God have omnipresence in relationship with finite presence of creation. Okay. So let's go back to that thing we had established uh, about in the natural world, no two people can fill the same space. No two entities can fill the same space. So his law established that no two physical objects can occupy the same space, okay? So God, as a spirit, fills all in all. Now, here's where I would say that I think that man's attempt to explain God, okay, historically, in the uh, Trinitarian uh, mode of explanation, they would try to make sense of all of this stuff. And we're going to cover that tonight. They would try, try to explain that there are three beings that are co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent, but yet they are one God. 
So three are one. Well, they're either three or they're one. They can't be both mathematically because that does not equate. And so they try to blend that and they, and, and they make their best attempt sometimes to do that. But God is a spirit. That's singular. One spirit. We read the scriptures. One spirit filleth all in all. So there is a spirit that is preeminent that filleth all in all. And there cannot be a plurality of entities, of beings, if you will, that fill the same space. So the, those that would, that would interpret that, and there's many different interpretations sometimes of the, of the Trinitarian doctrine historically, but those that would interpret that there are three distinct entities, obviously they would have a hard time answering this question. They would have a hard time explaining those three distinct entities. And so there are some cultures over in, we're, we're more foreign to that, but over in the other parts of the world that when they do that, they will, they will do the cross with the three. And they would believe that there are three up in heaven, that there are three. When you get up there, there's going to be the Father, there's going to be the Son, there's going to be the Holy Spirit, and you're going to have these three entities, and they would separate that. That doesn't make sense because if God is a spirit and he fills all in all, all time, matter, and space, you can't have a plurality of those things occupying the same space, whether in the natural or whether in the supernatural. And so we know that there's only one spirit, that God fills all in all. But God emanates out of his presence, so God is here today, but that doesn't mean that I have allowed God into my heart. You understand what I'm saying? So I, I may keep God out of my life. That doesn't mean that God's not Lord over everything. But in my carnal, uh, uh, mortal being, I am refusing to live under the law of God. Uh, or I'm separated from God. And so God in his omnipresence has a relative presence that can come down and minister and dwell and speak with man. God had to reveal himself. So he does this in the garden when he's talking with Adam and Eve. And I know I may seem like I'm belaboring this point. But God, if the Spirit of God is emanation of God's omnipresent, were it not for this fact, man could never be enabled to relate to God. Um, so we wouldn't be able to connect with God. We wouldn't be able to know who God is. And if God was not a spirit, then God would not be omnipresent. If God was just in a locale in heaven, then he would not be able to fill all in all. But we know the Bible tells us that he does fill all in all. You cannot displace God. He has authority over all things always. So it's the relative presence of God that we speak about when we say, I feel the presence of the Lord in this place. Or Holy Spirit, I want you to dwell in this place. We're talking about that eternal God coming down and striving with mortal beings. And so we're speaking in that sense. All right. Naturally, omnipresence makes it utterly impossible, and I already stated this, for there to be more than one being that is God. That is why God always insists that he is, not they are. He is the only one. Okay? So God's, if nothing else can fill it, he's God. He's one God, right? There's only one God. And so if you go to the Old Testament and you begin there, there's this understanding. There's only one God. There's one spirit. The Hebrews understood there's one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. That was numerically one. They always had this understanding of one God. There's one being that is God. Okay? That was, that was emphatically understood. It was a great contrast 
to every other pagan religion, man-made religion, whether it was in Egypt, whether it was in Canaan, whether it was in Babylon, whether it was in the, the Sumerian uh, plains uh, that, that we, was, we see uh, um, in, in the Tower of Babel, they had a multiplicity of gods. They had many gods. They were uh, polytheistic. They were pantheists. They, but he, Hebrews come along saying there's only one God. And in that sense, they called him the Father. And I referenced that Sunday. Why did they call him the Father? Because if there's only one God, everything that is exists because of that one God. Okay? For in him we live and move and we have our being. Everything comes from him. So they called him the Father in that sense. There was only one God. Okay. So, so we understand this God that we cannot see still comes down and strives with men in a relative presence. And he revealed himself through what people have used the term theophanies. But there were times where God manifests himself and comes down just like when Moses said, God, show me your glory. And he, re, he has this encounter on Mount Sinai and other times. It, it was the same God, that one God that is speaking to them. So, all right, so we know that there's one God. Am I belaboring the point? All right. Let's look at this, Deuteronomy. Do I have Deuteronomy chapter 4? Let's go to Deuteronomy. Know therefore this day and consider it in the heart that the Lord, He is God in heaven above and upon the earth beneath. There is none else. So He's God all by Himself, okay? There's only one God. Now, so we're starting at the beginning. So if you have any kind of Christian teaching or secular understanding of other types of religions, don't try to bring that and impose that upon the idea and the doctrine of God. Always go to the Bible and let the Bible speak for itself. And you start at the beginning of the book. That's a good place to start. And allow yourself to work your way through so you can understand that. If you start at the end of the book and you start reading it, while well, you've missed a whole bunch of foundation and context, and you're going to have a hard time understanding this. So let's go back in the Old Testament. Okay, They knew there was only one God. They understood God as being one being, one spiritual being. Okay, That it was only by His grace that He came down and He related with Him. So let's go back now because something interesting happens when Solomon builds the temple. Does anybody remember Solomon builds the temple and he prays this dedication prayer? Remember that? And the Spirit of the Lord comes in. The Bible says it filled the place where they could not minister in the clouds and all that stuff. Solomon prays his prayer. So I want to go to one verse of Scripture in 1 Kings chapter number 8, 26 and 27. And this is important. If you're going to write a Scripture verse down, this is a good one to write down for you to follow along. Solomon expressed much about the omnipresence of God when he dedicates the temple. He begins to talk about the omnipresence of God. So it's going to be very important. So here, let's look at what he says. Here he's praying, and he says, And now, O God of Israel, one God, right? God's a spirit, right? He fills all in all. God of Israel, let thy word, I pray thee, be verified, which thou spake unto thy servant David, my father. Now stop right there. Solomon invokes... A promise that has already been given to David, the first king, second king of Israel, but the first king with promise, I guess you could say, his father, king of Israel. He says, God, let 
your word be verified. The thing that you said about David, that you prophesied to David, let it come to pass. And then he goes on and he asks this question. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? And then he said, behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. How much less this house which I have built. God omnipresent. This is what Solomon is understanding. And Solomon doesn't, he doesn't get how it's going to work. God who is eternal, immortal, everlasting, this omnipresent God. Lord, here I am building this temple. How in the world are you ever going to dwell inside of this temple? The heavens can't contain you. And then to top that, he said the heaven of the heavens. <laughs> what we can see, you, you fill all. You fill all in all. But what we cannot see, you fill all of that. And then he said, and what we can see and what we cannot see. That can't even contain you. You're bigger than that. You're bigger than the observable universe. It doesn't matter how far we travel out into eternal space. You would be beyond that because you're greater than that. Much less, how can you dwell in the temple? Has anybody ever read that and thought, wow, this is an interesting thought. How does God dwell in this temple? Solomon knew God didn't dwell in the temple. He understood that. The Israelites knew that God could not come down and dwell in the temple. But the Ark of the Covenant was where the relative presence of God, if you will, for that time would abide. And that signified and represented the Spirit of the Lord upon the earth. But they knew God was not limited to a box. Some people try to take, you know, movies and they try to recreate it and think that, you know, that God just dwelt in this wooden box. No, God doesn't dwell in that little box. God doesn't even dwell in the temple. God, he's saying the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee, how much less the house that I have built to you. So this is significant. Solomon understands that God is bigger. Now stay with me. Are you okay? All right, everybody awake? Do you need to pinch your neighbor? I want to make sure you don't miss this tonight. Amen. This is good. Now let's go back because he invoked the promise that was given to David. Okay, so this is important. So here's what, here's what happened. We're talking about the omnipresent God, God as a spirit that no man hath seen at any time. Makes himself relative to us. So Solomon's saying, how do you do this? Well, let's go back. If we were to look, and, and, and I don't think I gave you these verses, I'm going to skip over them. There are several promises that God made to David. There was one that was our, fulfilled already. And the first promise that God made was that David, his son would be king after him, and his son would build a house unto the Lord. So that's the first promise that we already know. The second promise was an extension of that promise that said that David's posterity or his lineage would, would, be, uh, would sit on the throne forever. So that meant his generations would continue to sit on the throne. So not just Solomon, David's son, but David's grandchildren and David's the lineage. They would continue to sit on the throne. That's the second promise, okay? If, and there was contingency if, the, if, if your children walk after me and all that stuff. And then in addition to those two, there was a third promise. And this is powerful. This was incredible. This is what Solomon, I, I'm not certain yet. I can't figure it out. Solomon could not figure out in his own mind. I want to make sure. If Solomon had the revelation, it's great. But I don't see anywhere in Solomon's writing 
that Solomon had this figured out. And here's why he's asking God the question. He asked him the question, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Listen to what he's saying. Are you really, God, are you really going to dwell on the earth? Is the God that can't, that, that, that fills all time, matter, and space, that inhabit eternity, that's omnipresent, is that God really going to dwell on the earth? And here's why he's asking the question. Because the third promise that was given to David was this. David, not only will you reign, not only will your son reign and build a temple, not only will your seed and lineage reign after that, but then go to Psalm. This David writes a song. In Psalms, Psalm 132, look at what he said. Now this is powerful. The Lord hath sworn in truth unto David, he will not turn from it of the fruit of thy body will I set upon thy throne. Now, I want you, did anybody catch that? The third promise is this. David is singing, he puts this into a song, but it's a prophecy, a word from God to David. And this is what God says to David. David, of the fruit of thy body, someday in your lineage, he didn't say they would sit on the throne. God says, I will sit on your throne. You catch that? Now this is huge. This is unbelievable. I want you to make sure you see this. David heard God say, David, out of your seed someday, God, the eternal spirit, is saying, David, out of your body, out of the fruit of your body, out of the fruit of your loins, your Children, some generation, God says, I, I, the eternal God, the omnipresent God will come down upon earth and I will sit on your throne. This is why Solomon was asking the question. He did not understand, God, if the heavens can't, if the heavens can't contain you, how are you going to come and dwell on this earth? <laughs> this is beautiful stuff. David writes another song in Psalm chapter 8 and verse 4. And he says this, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? What is David talking about? David is talking about God, the omnipresent one, being incarnated and coming down and dwelling on this earth. He's not talking about another entity. He's not talking about a co-equal person that's up there in heaven. He's not talking about somebody else. He is talking about the great almighty God, the omnipresent God that is going to get this. The omnipresent God that is going to come down and have presence <laughs> on earth. Tangible presence on earth. Touchable presence on earth. Relative presence on earth. 
Jesus Christ was not just another man. He was not just another person. He was God that no man has seen manifest in the flesh in a relative form that we could behold with our eyes, that we could touch with our hands, that we could hear with our ears, that we could, that we could tangibly sense in the natural realm, God became man and dwelt among us. Folks, I don't know about you, but that's pretty powerful. Jesus Christ is not some other part of a coalition of of a triune God. And I know people try to explain it in that sense, but it breaks down. The scriptures aren't consistent. Jesus Christ is the manifestation of the omnipresent God. That's what John was writing about when he writes in John chapter 1. He says, in the beginning was the Word. What's the Word? The Word is the revealing, the logos. That's the Greek word. The revealing of God. Okay? And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he says, and the Word, the revealed of God, the, the relative revealed presence of God by which we could know God, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as of the glory, right? What's it say? Let's make sure we get this right. I don't want to misquote this. Amen. My brain doesn't always work as good as it used to. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. The only begotten of the Father. He is unique. Jesus Christ is unique among men because he is not a mere man or a mortal. He is begotten, which means he is birthed of God. God did this is what John is saying. He's not saying there's two different kinds of things. What he's saying is there's a deity that mortal man cannot know. And so God made himself relative and provided presence so that we could communicate with him. And that's the distinction between the son and the father. Follow that? There's a difference between the son and the father. I can't see the father because the father's a spirit. He's this, he's this intangible omnipresent God, but he made himself revealed, manifest, and dwelt among us. Okay, so this is what Jesus is. So this is so powerful. This is so important. God promised not only to put David's sons and grandsons in their generation upon the throne if they kept his covenant, but that he himself would sit on the throne as the fruit of David's loins. That's, what the prof- that's the prophecy of the Old Testament. So now, let's take a moment. Let's pause here. We are apostolic. We believe in the apostles' doctrine, the apostles' faith. Amen. The early church, they understood it. So let's go to the book of A- the Acts of the Apostles. Okay? This is important. The Acts of the Apostles. And let's go to chapter 2. Because chapter 2 is where the Spirit of God was poured out upon men. Which is beautiful. And we'll get to that at the end. God omnipresent did more than just come down in human form so that we could tangibly see him and touch him and know him. 
But Jesus Christ ascends up into heaven, says, I will come to you, and this is going to be better because now not only can you see me, but the presence of God will come down and dwell inside of you. It's not a different God. It's not another part person of God. It's the same spirit of God dealing with mortal man, dealing with humanity. And so the spirit of God is poured out. Is everybody following me here tonight? The spirit of God is poured out in the book of Acts. Powerful thing. And the sign by which God signified it, he said, you're going to hear them. And uh, there was a sound. They spoke, amen, in a language. They spoke in other tongues, the Bible says, as the spirit gave the utterance. It was a supernatural working. Amen? So that no, so it was a sign of approval upon them. And then there was a crowd that gathered around and began to say, hey, these are drunk. And Peter stood up and starts preaching. And here is the powerful thing. Now, we as apostolics sometimes, if we're not careful, we can be so excited that we want people to repent of their sins and we want them to get baptized in Jesus' name and we want them to experience the same overcoming power of the Holy Spirit that we have in our life that we skip straight to Acts chapter 2 and verse number 38. And we bypass what Peter was preaching. But this, we've got to acknowledge, comes first. And that's the understanding of who God is. You can come to church and you can feel the presence of God, but if you don't know who he is, why are you going to listen to him? Why is it going to change your life? You've got to know who he is, so it's okay if that happens, but then you've got to figure it out and you've got to find out who God is. And so this is what Peter does. He's preaching this message, and he says, first of all, these aren't drunk. What's happening right now was prophesied, and he begins to invoke prophecy hundreds of years ago. He's speaking to the Jewish people, the Israelite nation. This is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And he's talking about all these things. And if you go, I was in Israel, and I don't know if the upper room was where they say it is now. It probably is not. I don't know, but it's close. It's somewhere in that vicinity. But we know that the sepulcher of David, the tomb of David, is not far away. And while Peter is preaching, Peter does something pretty incredible. Let's go to Acts chapter number 2 or, and verse number that's not right. What verse am I going to? 2 and 29. Is that right? 29. All right. So we're going to go through three verses of Scripture. So he's speaking here and he says, Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David. Now David, if you go to Jerusalem and you want to stay in the premier hotel in Jerusalem, the, the hotel is called King David. That's King David's hotel. That's the premier. Everything is King David because David was their king. He was the great, the great history of Israel. It's all about David. Everything's about David. Well, David is laying in a tomb, okay, at the time that Peter is preaching this. And he says, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David that is both dead and buried. And he's pointing over here or, or whatever, I can imagine. He's, he's referencing here, dead and buried. And his sepulcher is with us unto this day. That's how we know that he was, he was near there. And his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Here's David. And now he's going to begin to invoke something that David said out of, Acts, or out of Psalms chapter 16. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God hath sworn with an oath to him, that's the same thing that Solomon said, that of the fruit of his loins, okay, 
according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ, that is the anointed one, that is the Messiah, to sit on his throne. On whose throne? On David's throne. So Peter is invoking this. Peter is saying, listen, God prophesied to David that through the lineage of David, God was going to raise up Messiah and God was going to sit on the throne. Okay, go to the next verse. And he says, he seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ. Now here it is. He spake of the resurrection of Christ that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. Okay? Now, I don't have this in there, Sister Monica. If you can go to Psalms chapter number 16, and I want to go to, let's go to verse, oh, let's go to verse number 9 and 10. Psalms chapter 16, verses 9 and 10. This is what Peter is quoting. David makes this statement, another place. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my, glo my, my glory rejoices. My flesh also shall rest in hope. Go to verse 9. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Okay? So David is here speaking that someday he's going to make a way that when my body dies and goes to the grave, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be captive of the grave. And here's why. He said, neither will thou suffer thine Holy One. Who's the Holy One? It's the Messiah. It's the incarnation. It's God manifest in the flesh. You will not suffer him to see corruption. What's corruption? Well, it's death. It's appointed to man once to die. That's the corruption. So David is saying the Messiah is going to come. And David knows he's going to come out of one of my children. Amen. But when he comes, he's not going to be another man. He's going to be God manifest in the flesh. And he is not going to die. And because he is going to defeat death in the flesh, I am going to be able to experience everlasting life. Wow. Think about that. All those years before, David said, I've got to hope in the resurrection. Now, here's why I'm wondering if Solomon did not have this figured out. Because Solomon comes to the temple and he says, God, are you really? <laughs> this was too marvelous even for the great mind of Solomon to understand. God, are you really going to do everything? I don't see how this is all going to work. This is a mystery. How is the supernatural, omnipresent God going to come down and dwell in a finite uh, uh, mortal being? How's he going to become flesh and yet conquer death and then my body be resurrected? Solomon couldn't figure all of this stuff out. And so that's why he would say, is God really going to sit upon the throne? How could the omnipresent one be so localized? That's what he's saying. How could he be localized in one person? How could he visit man? It was too great a mystery. Amen. But I'm glad Paul would write in 1 Timothy and he would undo the mystery. And this is what Paul would say. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. What's the mystery? The mystery is how can an omnipresent God come down and dwell? I don't even know how to explain that one. But he says, but rest assured, God was manifest in the flesh. 
He's saying God. Who's God? God is the omnipresent, eternal, everlasting one. God was manifest in the flesh. He was justified in the spirit. He was seen of angels, preached unto Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. He came down and made a way. Hallelujah. This, this was the prophecy. I, I've got a whole list of verses here. We're going to pass. By the way, this isn't in my notes, but you remember when Jesus comes riding on a donkey into Jerusalem? Remember that? Palm Sunday, we celebrate it. What did they cry out? Hosanna. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. That, that, they were making a direct proclamation. That was a direct invocation. Hosanna literally meant save us. If you go to Psalms 118, that's another messianic psalm. They were invoking Psalms 118 upon Jesus Christ when he rode. And that was saying that he was the Messiah. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Remember when the blind men were crying out for Jesus to heal him? And the people were trying to keep them quiet. You know why they were trying to keep them quiet? Because the blind men were saying what? Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. They were saying, hey, hey, be careful, be careful. This guy might be a miracle worker. He might be a prophet. He might be a rabbi. But don't take it too far. Hey, be careful. Because what he was saying, that blind man was invoking that Jesus <laughs> is God manifest through the seed of David come down on this earth. And the blind man had more supernatural vision than the natural people that could see. I don't know about you, but that's pretty awesome. You see how this all fits together? So there's not God the Father and then a separate person that's God the Son and then another one that's God the Holy Spirit in that kind of terminology. I could not go along with that kind of terminology. I know sometimes people explain it differently and maybe they don't have the best articulation of what they mean or what they're trying to imply. But it's all one God. It's God omnipresent that manifests himself. It's the same God. That's why we believe, we still believe in the oneness of God. And the Jews understood that. They believed in one God. And in the New Testament, sometimes we're afraid of this. In the New Testament, you'll read all the time. They'll say, I, I, I greet you, I come to you. By, by the power of the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. You know what they were saying? They were Jews. They were writing. What they were saying is God, the eternal, omnipresent one, and the manifestation, God revealed, the Messiah. That's who I'm coming to you in. That's the authority that I'm coming to you in. I'm not sidestepping the Messiah. I'm not sidestepping the incarnation. And so they would invoke both. And the Father... And through his son, Jesus Christ, do I stand here before you today? Because it's the word, the word revealed that has enabled me to relate to the Father, to know the Father. Now we could go on with all of these things, but look at this. Matthew chapter 1 and 23 said this. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God... With us. You know why that was such a huge concept for them to understand? Because Solomon's saying, God, the heavens of heavens cannot contain you. How are you going to come down and, 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 and deal with mere mortals? 
When we were out west and we were hiking, my wife kept saying, wow, it's so big. We're so small. We're, we're so insignificant. We, we'd go past these cliffs that were 4,000 feet that were just standing right up, just rising up out of there. And wow, from where we were up to 7,000 feet or 8,000 or wherever we were at, 9,000, I think, at one place. And just so massive, you get back in those canyons and you're just, you're just nothing. I am nothing. And, and this was just... This was just a, a collision in the, in the creative plan of God when he makes it and all this beautiful stuff springs forth. Who am I? And Solomon's saying, you mean God that is beyond the farthest star? By the way, tonight's a new moon, and you can see the Milky Way. Unfortunately, we have so much light pollution where we're at that you probably won't be able to see it. But if you're willing to drive two hours tonight to, to the, the remote places of southeast Missouri, you can probably see the Milky Way in all of its brilliance. The God that is beyond that and the billions upon the trillions of stars, the Bible says he knows all of them by name. That God is going to come down and dwell among us mere mortals. That's why that concept of God with us was so mind-blowing to the Old Testament. Believers, wow! And then when the prophecy came... It's Emmanuel, God with us. He's here. Folks, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty excited that when I'm driving down my road, the, I, I may be small and I may be insignificant and I may find myself in some little canyon or whatever, but all I've got to do is speak the name of Jesus <laughs> and the God that inhabits eternity is right here with me. Wow. And nothing in this world that compares to that, folks. You're not going to find anything that compares to that. You would take your little drugs and your entertainment and all your little stuff, those things. Those all pass away. You do that, they, they, they diminish, they wear out, they wear down, they destroy. But hey, man, but to know the invisible, omnipresent, in, incredible God, to know him. Wow, now that there, that's a ride of your life. <laughs> that's something you don't want to miss out on. Is this all right? Anybody under? I, I'm going to tell you, there's a whole lot more when you say Jesus, amen. <laughs> than just the angels. That's why the Bible says the devils believe. You believe in one God? He said you do good. Why? Because the devils believe and they tremble. That's the God that we serve. That's why you can take authority over sickness and over disease and over whatever it else is and say, no, this is not of God. Amen. I'm going to stand upon the word of God. God can in a moment. He can heal. He can deliver. He can work. We have faith. Now he's sovereign and his ways are above our ways. And he doesn't always answer our, our prayers and, and our ways, but, but he's above our ways. And even when he doesn't answer the way we think he should or the way we want him to, when we want him to, he does all things well. And so we can trust in him. We can have faith in him. And God keeps his word. God keeps his promise. I don't know about you, but that's, that's pretty good. That's why understanding the Godhead is so powerful in your life. Look, look at this in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. They had a hard time wrapping their mind around this. Isaiah prophesied, for unto us a child is born, hear it, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called... Now here he's prophesying of the seed of David. Wonderful. <laughs> well, we could just stop right there. He's wonderful. There ain't no God like our God. He's incredible. You're never going to find anybody. Wonderful counselor. The mighty God. The omnipotent one. The sovereign one. 
the everlasting Father, the God that inhabits all time, matter, and space. He said, that's the name of the child, the Prince of Peace. So we had all authority, folks. Wow. It's incredible. Isaiah said in chapter 12 and verse 2, Behold, God is my salvation. God, see, this, there's a messed up, there's, there's something that's wrong. And atheists use this. Atheists look at the doctrine of the Trinity and they reject it because they'll say, you're going to tell me that God was so loving that God sent his son so his son could die? What kind of a loving God sends his son? That's not loving. God didn't send somebody else to do the work. God came himself. When we use that word son, it denotes offspring. It means it's from, it's out of, it emanates from God. This was God's doing. In fact, that's, in fact, that's the actual words. In Psalms 118, it says, this is the Lord's doings and it's marvelous in our eyes. That's the prophecy about the Messiah. The Lord is doing this, okay? So God's not sending somebody else to say, you know what? These people, they're horrible, they're wretched, but I'm going to redeem them. I want you to go down and suffer and die. No, it was God, the everlasting Father, the mighty God, amen, the wonderful counselor that came down, the word, the revelation of God, the revealed of God, the revelation, what's the revelation? Well, that's what the Logos, that's what bridges the gap so that we can know the omnipresent God that we can't see. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. This is the Lord's doing. This is the Lord's doing. And, and, and he completed it. No part, we, this, is, this is for another study. But the Bible says, the fullness of the Godhead dwelleth in him bodily. God left no capacity of his attributes out of the person, which that word is only used once in the, in, the Hebrew, in the book of Hebrews, the person of Jesus Christ. He totally enraptured it. So if you want to know God and everything about God, you can't know God through Jesus Christ, but it pleased God. It pleased God that Jesus could be the sum total of who God was. Before Jesus Christ, God had never loved to that measure. Now this is, this is getting really deep. We're getting into some really deep stuff here. Until the drama of redemption played out, it was only in the mind of God. It had to play out. And we, folks, are witness to this beautiful thing. And we are recipients of the blessings of what God has done because he's changed our life and he's changed our soul. I could, I could go on. Jesus Christ is the omnipresent God. Amen. I've gone way too long, haven't I? Sorry, folks, I've gotten carried away. Jesus Christ is the omnipresent God on earth and in heaven. Let's look at this. I'll, I'll, can, can I go just five more minutes? Can you give me five more minutes tonight? All right, thank you. I know I don't normally take this much time on Wednesday night. John 3 and 13, look at this. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus who comes to him by night and he says this. And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, and look at what he says, which is in heaven. Now catch this. How can Jesus say this? Jesus, come here, Brother Nathan. Come here, real quick. 
We've got to illustrate this. Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. And Jesus is saying, no man has ascended up into heaven. What's he going to do? He's going to ascend up into heaven. He's going to go up into heaven. Except he that first come down from heaven. So what Christ is saying is, I came down from heaven to get here. That's how I have the power to go back up to heaven. And then he says, even the Son of Man, he's identifying it. Even the Son of Man, he didn't say, which shall be in heaven or which will be in heaven. He says, which is in heaven. Only an omnipresent God can say, I am fully embodying the incarnation of Jesus Christ. But I, because I'm God, I've yet to be displaced from all eternity, from all time, matter, and space. So God could still come down on this earth, but he could still be God in all of eternity. That's what makes him God. If he wasn't able to do that, he wouldn't be God. You catch that? Thank you. Thank you, Nicodemus. So that's how he says it. Okay, let's go to this one. Look at this one. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. You know what he was saying? He's saying, you may see me as a man, but I inhabited time before Abraham even existed. <laughs> I am. That's what, that's, that was what Moses used when he goes to Pharaoh. Who sent you? I am that I am. I am that I am. He just am. I am that I am. And, and that's just a whole, that's a whole other thing wrapped up into, into, that, into that beautiful statement right there. So, so, but let's not stop there. And here's where I'll finish. Here's where we'll finish up. Okay, so the omnipresent God, okay, the everlasting Father, the mighty God, made himself present, okay, upon earth. Okay, so that's how we're talking. That's how Jesus could say, hey, I'm here and I'm talking to you, but I'm also in heaven. <laughs> because he's an omnipresent God, but he's now made himself present on earth. But then, Jesus, you go to John chapter number 14, and Jesus says, I am going to go back. I'm going to ascend up into heaven. So where does he describe that to? Because there's no locale. He doesn't say, I'm going up to a locale in heaven. He said, I'm going back to the Father. Okay, catch that? I'm going back to the omnipresent, to the internal, to the one that inhabits all in all. I'm going back to that. But when I go, pray the Father because he will send his spirit, the comforter, he said. He will, note what he says, I'm going to the Father. He will send the comforter and he says, I will come to you. Okay? God is going to send the comforter, and I will come to you. I'll be in you. And so now, not only did God, the omnipresent God, make himself present on earth, <laughs> but the omnipresent God said, I will make my spirit so relative and so relevant that my spirit will come down and dwell inside of you. And he would fulfill the prophecies of Ezekiel and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Joel and Zechariah. And he said, my spirit, the omnipresent God, his spirit, hallelujah, would come down and dwell inside a man. Look at these prophecies on Isaiah 57 and 15. He said, for thus saith the high and lofty, oh, let's see, yeah, high and lofty one that inhabit eternity whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. 
But then look at what he says. I dwell in the high and holy place, but with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. So God said, I'm going to dwell in all these places, but I'm also going to come down and dwell in the hearts of men that give themselves to me. Amen. We could go on through other scriptures. Let's skip to Acts 5 and 32. And we are his witnesses of these things, and so also is the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. The Holy Spirit God has given to those who obey him. John 14, 15, and 18. If you love me, Keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. (laughs) Not this same manifestation right here that's present before you that you can see with your eyes and touch and speak to. He's going to send another comforter. You're going to have another, amen, manifestation, relative presence of the Lord come to you. And he says that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit Here it is, the spirit, see that? Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Why? Because it seeth him not. Why? Because there's a separation, there's a gulf, there's carnality, there's mortality, there's sin that blinds their eyes to that. And so he says, the world cannot receive because it sees him, neither knows him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. And then he begins to speak. As the authority of the everlasting Father and the mighty God, I will not leave you. I will come to you. So when we look at this, if we go back to all those five points where we reviewed all of these things, all of these things illustrate the oneness of God. The oneness of God. The oneness of God. So when I get to heaven, I'm not going to see three. When I pray, I don't have to pray to different people. Now, traditionally, the church the church got so messed up for a while that not only were they praying one prayer to the Father and one prayer to the Son and one prayer to the Holy Spirit, they were saying, well, let's pray a prayer to Mary and let's pray a prayer to all these apostles and all these people. Can I tell you, none of those people can help you. Don't pray prayers to any of those others. You can't, and you don't divide God up. You pray a prayer to the Lord. When they asked Jesus, how do I pray? He said, don't pray, dear Jesus. He didn't say, don't pray, Holy Spirit. He said, pray, Father... Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What's his name? His name is Jesus. Why? Because when you get the name of Jesus, you are speaking the name of the fullness of the Godhead bodily revealed. Amen. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Can I tell you, not only will every knee acknowledge that there is a God, every knee is going to acknowledge, every knee, someday there's going to be a great reveal. And everyone is going to know that Jesus Christ is the present of the presence of the omnipresent God, and that He has authority. And that He said, at the name of Jesus, every knee's gonna bow and every tongue's gonna confess. Can I tell you? I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that I know whom whom I have believed. I know in whom I have believed. Oh, somebody clap your hands unto the Lord tonight. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. I don't know what tomorrow holds in our life. Amen. Look at all the look at the world. The world's chaotic. The world's going nuts right now. Earthquakes, 
Amen. This sad tragedy, storms, all this chaos, wars that are going on, all this stuff is going to happen. But can I tell you, I'm not worried about it. You know why? Because the same God that's kept me is here tonight, and he'll be in my tomorrow. He inhabits all time, matter, and space. And I'm not worried about it. And even if I do die like David said, I rest in this hope that you will not leave my soul in hell. Amen. And I will not see corruption. There's a hope in that. There's a hope in that. And so the beautiful message of salvation is that we can partake with God. That's the beautiful thing about the scripture. Stand together with me. Lord, I thank you for your word tonight.